0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into this New Books Network podcast. My name is Catriona Gold, and today I'm very excited to be speaking with Sharice Burden-Steli and Jodie Dean about their forthcoming edited collection, Organize, Fight, Win, Black Communist Women's Political Writing, which will be published with Verso in October 2022. Sharice Burden-Steli is an Associate Professor of African American Studies at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. Jodie Dean is a professor in the political science department of Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York. And I'm really excited to be speaking with both of you today. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome you both to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Great. Thank you for having us. It's wonderful to be here.
2: Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm wondering if we could start with each of you telling uh, our listeners a bit about yourselves and about your academic trajectories and maybe how you came to work on this project together. So let's start with you,
2: Cherise. Sure. So I am um, a scholar of critical Black studies, political theory, political economy, and intellectual history. Um, I'm classically trained in Black studies. So my undergraduate degree, uh, master's and PhD are in um African American, African diaspora studies. I also have um a, a BS in political science. Um I did my graduate work at the University of California, um, Berkeley, and my dissertation sort of centered on the erasure or absence of political economy in um, African-American studies. And then that led me to a whole host of examinations. Uh, Most relevant for sort of this subject is the intersections of like anti-Black racial oppression and um, anti-communism. But anti-communism as a sort of synecdoche for a broad range of of anti-radicalisms. And um, so my first Single authored mon- monograph. Um, I have a co authored book with Gerald Horn called W.B. Du Bois' Life in American History. Um, that's sort of part of my strand, the strand of my research that focuses on um, radical Black intellectual history and political history. Um, my first single authored manuscript is uh, called Black Scare, Red Scare. should be out sometime next year. That looks at these the sort of intersections of uh, the Black Scare or the the ways that um, anti-Black racial oppression was used as a technology of sort of accumulation on the one hand, um, but also sort of racial hierarchy on the other. And then the way that intersects with the Red Scare, which is basically the denigration, criminalization, delegitimizing of Reds. So um, communists or Bolsheviks uh, particularly, but also earlier on anarchists, the industrial workers of the world, um, the Socialist Party, and how those sort of discourses and policies and practices intersect and cohere. Um, so that so that book pulls on sort of that that anti-blackness and anti-radicalism strand of my dissertation. Um, in a broader sense, I'm sort of interested again in in black uh, political and intellectual thought that particularly emanates from the, the CPUSA, but also um, other um, forms of, of Marxist thought. Uh, and I'm interested, I'm particularly interested in, in that mode of thought because of, you know, what I call uh, intellectual McCarthyism or the ways that those forms of thought are erased or obscured or even sort of try or sanitized. So we'll read people into a kind of liberal Narrative. So if you look at somebody like WB Du Bois, you'll talk about souls of black folk, but not in battle for peace. Uh, black Reconstruction is sort of coming back into, um, back into the discussion. But we don't know people try to like leave off his, his membership in the Communist Party USA, for example, to to save him or rescue him. And part of what um, my body of work and then also um, organized Fight Win does is to try to push back against this idea that abstract liberal struggle is is the sort of pinnacle of struggle and that anybody who is doing anything outside of that is not worthy of study.
0: great thank you so much that's really helpful and uh what about you jody
1: so um i've been um teaching and writing for like the last 30 years i got my phd in 1992 and uh, most broadly and you know, my training has been in critical theory and the criti- yeah, really understood in the broadest sense, because it's a long, <laughs> 30 years is a long time. And so I've been working the last decade or so under the heading of the kind of communist revival, return to communism, um, though, of course, we need to acknowledge that that whole idea of revival or return acts as if there had not been millions of people who have been communist, um, consistently, um, for over a hundred years. But anyway, it's the, you know, the intellectual, um, heading has been, um, the kind of return to communism. And so I have a, um, a few books over the last decade with Verso, um, talking about this, the communist horizon crowds and party, and then comrade. And, and so, in some ways, um, this book that Charisse and I have co-edited um, kind of continues that for me. But um, I want to say, like, how how we came about putting this together. Um, um, I was teaching a course in socialist feminism, and one of the students was doing a paper on um, some of the different writings from... Um, socialist women and she wanted a text from louise thompson patterson written in 1937 um, about organizing um, in the language of the text organizing negro women and i couldn't find it so i contact Charisse, and Charisse like oh i can you know this shouldn't be hard and didn't she couldn't find it and she reaches out. We couldn't find it. It's like, well, this is ridiculous. Um, this work needs to be immediately accessible. It needs to be available for any scholar, any student and any activist who needs to know about the important work of Black communist women, women, black women working in and around the party and the movements, and this shouldn't be so hard. I mean, it is the case that some of some of the writing is available. Um, Carol Boyce Davies has made an, a major a major contribution by um, collecting the writing of, of Claudia Jones, who was a major theorist in the um, you know U.S. Communist Party, and Carol Boyce Davies has a has a brilliant biography of, of um, Claudia Jones and has collected her writings, but she's, it's much more exceptional, right? It's more an exception and we don't see that in fact, you know, there are a large number of black women who were in and around the party, exercising leadership, building branches, building organizations, leading struggles, and we all need to learn from them. So um, that's how we came together to start to put, you know, to pull, these, pull this writing together because it, it's never been collected and it's so important.
0: Right, absolutely. Okay, so my next question is going to be, why is this collection important? And uh, I feel we've gone some way to to answering that question. So, of course, one of the reasons is because these texts simply have not been assembled together in this way before. Uh, and I think um, something we could talk about later on is, is, you know, is your process of selecting and arranging the text compiled in here um, which I think you do in an interesting way. But I wonder if we could say more about why the collection is important and, and what it's responding to, because as well as this sort of, um, Charisse, like you mentioned, the liberal reductions of black politics to you know, the NAACP, there's also, you mentioned in the introduction, the problem of feminist reductions of women's politics so to a certain kind of vision of what women's politics are or indeed left reductions of communist politics. And I wonder if you could um, both say a few words about... Those problems too, and how they sort of come together, or perhaps addressed in by compiling these texts. Charisse, would you like to start?
2: Sure. So I think that one of the one of the sort of key things that we mentioned in the in the introduction is a sort of way to think about um, the 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 ways race class and sex come together beyond the framework of intersectionality and the framework that most of the women we talk about were using was triple oppression or triple exploitation, sometimes double oppression, taking it as a given that black women were workers. Um, and so that framework is important because they're talking about a particular relationship to the mode of production, the capitalist mode of production and the social relations that emanate there from. It's not about identity. Now, this is not to say that they're not talking about the social um, consequences of being black women workers, they are. So for example, many, we don't have it in this volume, but many people know Claudia Jones is an end to the neglect of the problem of the Negro woman. And she talks about how being mothers um, is important to to this confluence, right? Um, She talks about how the treatment of black women by white communist men at dances is important, right? That that seems like something that might be marginal or arbitrary, but the way that she talks about it is that this is going to deter Black women who are some of the most revolutionary, some of the most active organizers from joining a party like the CPUSA if the social relations reproduce on a sort of micro level um, discrimination or exclusion. And so likewise, many of the pieces that we gather in this collection offer up a sort of alternative to intersectionality to think about the confluence of race class, and sex. And so I think that's important because we also talk about in the introduction, we call it identity reductionism. So this is the idea that there's something about your identity that makes you objectively revolutionary or objectively radical. And the person who is at the most sort of intersection, so if you're a Black, disabled, you know, (laughs) left-handed immigrant woman, you should automatically be pushed to the center of analysis or to leadership because you're at all of these intersections. And part of what we try to convey by lifting up particular writings is that none of these women were only fighting for Black women. What they were saying is that there is no way we can wage effective proletarian struggle. There is no way we can hope for a socialist revolution uh, or for strong unions, Right. Or for sustainable movements, without expanding what it what who um, counts as a worker, um, without expanding our understanding of the deep connections between like the Negro question, the woman question, and capitalist exploitation, as well as imperialism, right? And so these women are foundationally anti-imperialist, and much of their analysis coheres around that reality. It's not about liberal inclusion or recognition by the state. It is about throwing off the fetters of imperialism. (laughs) And so that is one contribution of the work. I would say this, I've already mentioned intellectual McCarthyism, but I think um, it's also a sort of challenge to the the rising and ongoing anti-communism of this particular time—that's articulated in very goofy, but also legible ways. On the one hand, it's the xenophobia that permeates American uh, U.S. society as a form of anti-communism. It's the conflation of current-day Russia with the USSR, using this weird Cold War logic. Um, not least through the, the you know this support for uh, the Ukraine war, but it's also through the right-wing attack on so-called critical race theory, cultural Marxism, and wokeism, that is this conflation of race study on the one hand and Marxism on the other. And so just it's interesting because just as sort of um, anti-communism in the 50s and 60s was used as a way to reproduce racism once um, the excesses of Jim Crow were rolled back, so too is racism or, or race being weaponized to discredit anti or to discredit communism in the sense that it's white people stuff. It's European stuff. Uh, only black people who were dupes cared about communism. Um, black people did not contribute anything theoretically or organizationally to communism. And it's a way to try to u- to paint um, the CPUSA or communists in general as like anti-black or racist or inattentive to race struggle to discredit Communism and the, and the and the communist party, and I think that what we show with this with this work is that that's simply not the case. It's ahistorical um, to make those arguments, and is simply um, inaccurate.
0: Right, that's really helpful. So we can, I think, through these writings, we can start to grapple with some of the 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 problems of of inclusion, or you know, the issues in within kind of um the communist movement as well right with because there were issues with inclusion and so on and so forth without kind of throwing the baby away with the bathwater, um too so i i yeah i think that's a really powerful contribution i think your introduction situates this really well jody do you have anything to say about this
1: um, i think that um activists will be able to get a lot out of this book, um, particularly with the different pieces that we've chosen, because one of the things that w- we, we, you basically see three primary um, elements that repeat throughout the book that'll be really helpful for um, activists. And that is a number one, um, the crucial nature of organization. Um, pe- they not only are, the people that we, the women that we've collected, not only are more than half of the members of the Communist Party, but then they join, they create more organizations and join other organizations and real and use the creation of organizations as itself a tool for struggle, for outreach, for bringing more people into the movement. And so, those who are around the, the Communist Party are in other organizations. Some sometimes you have organizations that have some communist and some you know communist adjacent people. But the very first thing that you see throughout, like repeatedly, chapter. Chapter, chapter, they are involved in organizations. There's none of this, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too tired. Uh, it's just about me. All the organizations suck. It's like, these people are working. They are working all the time. They are just like the, the, the most fierce fighters because, you know, and in some ways, because they have to be, and actually we have to be. So I think the first thing that we really see is organization. I think the second thing that we see is the emphasis on unity, all the way through right every single time it's not like oh here is my particular oppression that's an exception to everything else it's like my oppression is the same as this other oppression and this other oppression connects with this other oppression and all of these together have to be have to be combined have to be thought i mean it's like it's never about just separating anything out it's always about building like if we can see the conditions of the domestic workers in Harlem Right there. That's important. And it's important because it's a microcosm of larger capitalist forms of oppression and the need to organize workers. Right. Organizing domestic workers is really hard, but it's not like, oh, it's so hard. We have to pay only attention to this. It's like paying attention to this is necessary for the labor movement as a whole. So what's really crucial is always the building of unity. Right, Just step by step all the way through, um, rather than trying to make something exceptional or separate. And I think the last thing, um, and I really, I felt like I learned this in part just from the work, for me, from the work on this book. And this was just the patterns of, of police violence and state complicity in the murder of Black people. Um, in the U.S., South, across the United States, all over the world. And that, you know, sometimes it's easy for, particularly for young people to think that this is something new, that, oh, we've got now there's police violence. And one of the things that we see is that these issues of, of police violence, particularly against Black people and the state complicity and tolerance and furthering of this, all the you know domestically and internationally, that's a pattern, and so I hope that that will come out to people and strengthen folks' struggle. You know, with kind of the vehem- you know, the sort of um, the vehemence of a knowledge that this is a long history. People have been fighting it, and we have to keep going with it. Right, that's
0: great. So we have lessons for organizers, activists, aspiring activists, as well as you know theorists and historians in here, um, and. I mean the, yeah, the way you arrange and and sort of selected I, actually I don't know how you selected the text, but I, I like the way you arranged them and i I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about how you did go about um both selecting them and and the order you put them in and why and uh perhaps perhaps name drop a few of the you know a few of the texts if you've got favorites especially uh please I'd love to hear more about them um Jody, should we start with you again this time um Sure.
1: So this, this is going to be very kind of pragmatic. So um, we did the bulk of this work during COVID, during the lockdown. And um, I, my own writing at that point was just sort of collapsed. And, and I knew that we had already communicated before COVID about wanting to do this. And I'm like, okay, I can't really write. What if I try to try to start, you know, get us kick started with compiling. And yet, I didn't have the knowledge. (laughs) I just did. I knew like the names of maybe four or five people and had read a couple of books like The Sojourners for Truth by Eric McDuffie and Deo Gore's um, book, um, the name of which I just lost. Um, Radicalism at the Crossroads. Great. Thank you. And so I looked in there, but I wasn't sure. And so I um, asked Charisse, okay, we need a list. Can you help me with this list? Can you give us a list? All these different folks um, that, you know, I don't know anything about. And so... Um, Cherise compiles the list, and then we start looking um, in databases and archives, and online, and Googling, and different um, collections to see what we can find. Finding the, you know, putting together the list of of, of um, articles they wrote, where they're located, and seeing what was available. Again, that we're not able physically. To go to archives, but Cherise had good friends and contacts with academics who who actually sent us like um, the the um, piece that um, one of the pieces that we had from Willyana Burroughs. Um, these were these came from um, Minka Makalawi. Um, And um, that, and it was just great that he was able to give us this stuff from um, the archives that's never been published anywhere. So that was the first cut as, as we were getting, like how we were putting stuff together. And then um, my daughter typed it all um, because she got, um, um, couldn't go back to school because of COVID and um, I needed to put her to work. (laughs) So she retyped all of these, um, um, not Xeroxes, I don't know what it is, like microfiche, things that we got, um, as packets from different libraries, like the photographs of the microfiche and they didn't look that great, but you know, she typed them out and that's how we got the manuscript together.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, so I just want to, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I always want to say all of the names of the people that we talk about in this book. So we got, um, Ella Baker, um, Charlotta Bass, I don't know if it's Charlotta or Carlotta, I've heard both, um, Dorothy Burnham, Williana Burroughs, Grace P. Campbell, Alice Childress, Marbelle Cook, Esther Cooper Jackson, RIP, she just passed away last month um, at the age of 105, uh, Thelma Dale Perkins, Tyra Edwards, Vicki Garvin, Yvonne Gregory, Lorraine Hansberry, Dorothy Hunton, Claudia Jones, Maud White-Katz, Louise Thompson Patterson, and Islanda Good-Robeson. Um, and so I just like to say all their names because some of them are, are more familiar than others, but probably to the average American, none of these names are familiar at all. Um, and then I also want to just mention the other names. So, so I would say I probably had about maybe about 30 to 40% of the documents in various ways, but then there was Minka Makalani, um, Eric McDuffie, Melissa Ford, um, Eric Gelman, um, John Monroe, um, Denise Lin, Feng Lu. So there was just a lot of people that that we mentioned in the acknowledgements who sent us various things, some of which we ended up using, some of which we did not. But it's just, I want to mention those people just because this was really a collective effort in that way. And so because we collectivity, right, and organizing is just really important, even in terms of putting together this book, because we want a lot of different types of collectives to read the book. And then it took a lot of different people to be able to put it together, from Sadie, who typed up um, the pieces, to Adam, um, who works <laughs> for New Book Network, Um who ty- he was our sort of uh, he helped us get the permissions for various pieces and so Adam McNeil and so a lot of there was a lot of different types of labor that um, went into the book and I'll I'll just say Jody was sort of instrumental in the organization of the book so we so we went back and forth about whether or not we wanted to organize it thematically or um, chronologically and it ended up it ended up kind of both, but relatively chronologically, just because so many of the pieces cover more than one theme. So even the ones that fall under the rubric of fascism, for example, still cover earlier topics like labor organizing, white supremacy, anti-communism, anti-imperialism, for example. And so... um, and then we had a lot of pieces and so then we had to figure out how to whittle them down so for example one one thing is like we don't have the only fiction that we have is alice childress's col- um, columns from freedom newspaper about mildred um but we don't have we could have had play there were lots of plays that we could have included there were other pieces of fiction um but we just had to fit we had to make a cut somewhere and so um, it was pretty difficult to say, okay, what are we going to include in? What are we not going to include? How are we going to cut particular pieces down? Um, but we we wanted to just have a representative sample um, because this is just a starting point, right? This is not supposed to be exhaustive. No, nor are we saying this is like the definitive thing. It is a it's a sort of you know clarion call to other people to continue with this work to extend it to later time periods. Um, But to also include the people that we kind of did not include, for example, like Shirley Graham Du Bois. And so we hope that this is the first of many of these types of volumes.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, not comprehensive, but it is I think it's 42 pieces, right? Mostly, I mean, quite, quite short um, and so it's, while it's not comprehensive, it is a very, very impressive uh, compilation of texts and, and authors, m- uh, many of whom I, I hadn't heard of um, myself. So I'm sure that it's going to be a treat for our listeners as well to discover a lot of these thinkers. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, I wonder if, I, I mean, maybe it's a mean question or an unfair question, but if I had to ask you, each of you to pick... A favorite or one that you'd sort of a piece that you'd most like to tell our listeners about or it could be two pieces just to give give them a sense of of what kind of insights that they might find um in here uh i'll start with you again jody if you don't mind
1: sure so I have um, one piece that I'm going to actually get it, I'm going to list the three pieces. <laughs> I have one piece that I really like because it always moves me rhetorically so much. And that is a piece by Islanda Good-Robeson, um, uh, called unrest in Africa due to oppression, and it appeared in Freedom Magazine, which was a magazine um, co-founded by um, her husband Paul Robeson, who you know was a famous singer, um, well-known communist that um, compl- you know harassed by the U.S. State Department, had his um, passport stolen, and you know and so on. But this piece um, was from 1953 and what she's talking about is common uh, resistance to oppression. Um, She had interviewed delegates to the UN from Liberia and Ethiopia, and she's talking a lot about um, the struggles in Kenya, and what she keeps repeating all the way through this is their victories are our victories. And she will list several different, um, struggles and then repeat their victories are our victories. And then she goes into the past and past struggles and repeats and their victories are our, our victories. And I just, I love that for the unity. And I love that for the reminder of that the struggles have to be thought together. So that's, um, one of my favorites. Another one that I really, really love is from Cla- Claudia Jones, and it's on the um, uh, the Black Belt thesis, which has to do with understanding um, Black people in the U.S., particularly in the South, as a separate nation. And she's criticizing the way that the Communist Party um, under Earl Browder uh, abandoned that thesis abandon that thesis. And this one's from 1946. And it's called On the Right to Self-Determination for the Negro People in the Black Belt. And I think one of the reasons I really like this, other than the fact that she's just a brilliant thinker and it's so fierce, is that um, as she was typing it, my daughter kept snapping, right? And she's like, like tweeting out different lines from it and snapping her fingers. Like she was just like so blown away by the fierce radicality of this that I'm just like, okay, yes, this one has got it. This this one is moving people. I can see it right here in the living room. And then the other one is the one that we got from the from um, Minka Makalawi, the Wiliana Burroughs pieces, three reports on Negro women workers from 1930. And what's just so great is, She's just looking... Her reports are really serious. Like, okay, we're looking in this industry. We're looking in this country. We're looking here. We're looking at all these different kinds of work. And it just tells us what organizers have to do. Have to do our homework. Have to um, link struggles. Can't just... like like, like, I don't know, can't just look at one place and say, okay, now it's covered, right? I mean, it's just, it's just super, it's it's just a great example for, um, activists and scholars of doing the research necessary to build and to organize.
2: Yeah, so for me, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll do three as well. Um, so the first one is one, so I'll, it's one that I had not um, read before. Many of the, the pieces in here, are like I had already read or engaged in some capacity, but one that I really appreciated was How Shall the Negro Woman Vote, which is written in 1928 by Grace Campbell. And this, I really love that piece because- it kind of, it presaged Du Bois's piece that was in, I want to say maybe the 1950s of, of why I won't vote. Because essentially what she says in her piece is that both the Democratic and the Republican Party are responsible for the oppression of black people. Like, and so only the communist party is the party that will provide any relief or, um, representation for oppressed people, including, you know, Black women. So I I really appreciate that piece. It's, this is 1928. People still haven't come to this realization in 2022. Um, The second piece is just always one of, of my favorites because Again, it presages or or kind of sets the foundation for Claudia Jones's An into the neglect of the promise of the Negro woman, and that is toward a brighter dawn by Louise Thompson Patterson, which was written in 1936, where she is one of the earliest people to um, offer up like triple oppression as a framework. But what else, but what's interesting about that piece as well is that it's actually a sort of report back from the 1936 national Negro Congress, the, the um, women's caucus, the black women's caucus and the national Negro Congress. And so um, it's interesting to see like in 1936, she had this analysis Um Prior to that, there's a piece written in 1935 by um, Cyril Briggs and Eugene Gordon that speaks about Black women's double oppression. But so she kind of updates that, um, she updates that analysis. And then um, another a, a piece that I just really love. I'm obsessed with Dorothy Hunton, who I don't think was a member of the Communist Party, but she was a fellow traveler. Alpheus Hunton was, um, her husband was a a member of the Communist Party, and she has written to date the only biography of Alpheus Hunton, who's just an extraordinary person. But we, we have an excerpt from that book called Prison, The Bail Fund Affair, which is about Alpheus Hinton went to prison for, um, I want to say, six months for refusing to turn over the list of donors to the Civil Rights Congress, and so that that particular piece is important because it taught it shows the the extreme repression of the of Activities Control Board, the House Committee on Un American Activities, and those sorts of um, those entities. It also showed the, the effects of political repression, not only on the people who are incarcerated or exiled or deported, but also on their family members and on their loved ones. Um, another iterate or a similar iteration of this is um, this, the excerpt from This Is My Husband, Fighter for His People, Political Refugee by Esther Cooper Jackson, which is talking about her husband, James Jackson, who was indicted under the Smith Act and was forced underground. So those are some of my favorite pieces in, in the work
0: right thanks yeah a real a real sense of how how rich this collection is even just from that sort of brief uh, snapshot of of you know what what's in here and and uh i should mention that this this book is is Writings from 1919 to 1956, um, and you know, a very a very rich period in and of itself um, in terms of historical interest. Um, but of course, you know, something for for future uh, compilers editors to take up would be to sort of extend that into the future and perhaps also back into the past. I that would that could be interesting too, right? Um, but yeah, so much in here. Um, I'd like to ask you both uh, before we wrap up what you're working on now or what you're working on next. and um, what are your, what are your plans after, after completing this, uh, really, I mean, impressive project here. Um, I'll start with you, Cherise.
2: Yeah. So the, um, book that I'm currently working on is on, um, mutual comradeship. It's, um, my sang- my second, uh, single author monograph, and it'll be with, um, University of California Press and I just have to give a shout out to Jody obviously because Jody has written um Comrade which is the sort of definitive one of the de- you know probably the definitive work on on a uh, comradeship. And so but I first she prior to that wrote Four Theses on the Comrade. And that was foundational to me thinking about what I call mutual comradeship, which is a particular enunciation of comradeship that is at the intersection of state repression and black radicalism. And so um, I'm thinking about mutual comradeship as an ethical practice um, that undergirds political organizing and that sustains particular black radical actors Um, as they are struggling for black liberation and socialism on the one hand, but also battling state repression. And there is a particular ethical, um, a a, a foundational ethics that undergirds the way that they struggle and the way that they resist. um, That's absolutely vital and necessary for sustaining themselves in this struggle. Um, So it, you know, they support each other in, in manifold ways. They commit themselves to organizations that are under duress. Um, they give speeches, write pamphlets, raise money for one another. Um, they debate and disagree fiercely, but with a commitment to each other and to the work so that it doesn't tear down organizations. What we see today is disagreements or things that happen, and people turn those personal struggles, number one, they don't keep it internal. They will broadcast it on social media or wherever, and they will use their own personal experience to tear down an or a whole entire organization and to completely disrupt your up-end work. And so part of my investment in writing this book in this moment is that there's a way that we can struggle together as comrades. We don't necessarily have to be friends, many of them were. In fact, I have a chapter on friendship, but there's a way, there's a, there's an ethical commitment that we have to this work. And I think that these people, I'm looking at roughly the 1930s to the 1950s, that these people that I'm looking at really embodied that, that ethic and that commitment to struggle. So that is the work that, that is what I'm working on now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay.
0: And
1: uh, Jodi, what about you? I'm working on um Well, I'm working under the heading of neo-feudalism, and I'm trying to analyze the ways that capitalism and the state, after 30 years of neoliberalism, have created a political legal um, arrangement that doesn't follow conventional understandings of capitalism, but is something worse. And um, so on the one hand, it's kind of a gloomy thesis, right? It's like, what's worse than capitalism? And that's this way that capitalism is reintroducing um, kinds of neo-feudal arrangements. And um, it seems like a kind of weird thing, but what's wild is how many... um, Workers' struggles have actually complained about, look, we're being turned into serfs, right? Particularly like struggles around Uber drivers and Lyft drivers. They've used in their organizing um, this, this thing that they're treated like serfs now tied to their cars. Um, their cars are now instruments for the capital accumulation of another, not for themselves. Um, so that's why, and in the tech world, um, there's been this, you know, version of lords and serfs of the internet for about 15 years and so this neo-feudal thesis is coming out of those developments and I'm looking also at changes in law with the privatization of law the breakdown of abstract law in favor of more and more particular kinds of um these particular kinds of agreements that people have to sign in order to work. That means that they don't have, that they don't, they lose all of their rights to organize and to sue their employers and so on. So it's a too, it's a terribly gloomy book that I hope will have um, at least some way. I hope that I can write the last chapter and get my way out of the gloom, but um, neo-feudalism is bad. It's really like, like if we think of Rosa, if we recognize, if we recall how Rosa Luxemburg um you know, using um, Ingalls and Kautsky said, we're posed between socialism and barbarism. My version would be we're posed between neo-feudalism and communism.
0: All right. Okay. So uh, diverse and interesting work coming from both of you, which I hope I'll get to speak to you about at some point in the future. Those both sound like absolutely fascinating projects. Um, I think uh, we could wrap up here. I'd like to ask both of you if... There's anything else you'd like to add about um, this collection that we're talking about today, "Organize, Fight, Win: Black Communist Women's Political Writing," um, before we wrap this up?
2: Yeah, I do just want to add: um, join an organization, right? Like that is a takeaway from the book, and it's these are urgent times, whether they're capitalist or neo-feudalist, whatever wherever we are, you have we have to join an organization. On the online left, there's this aversion to being part of a collective because of the contradictions within organizations that are inevitable in the society in which we live. But as these women show, you struggle within the organization to make the organization viable and better. Um, you don't lead, you don't, you have to join, you have to join an organization and you have to struggle. And so I think that's something that's really, really um, important to for people to take away um, from this collection. (laughs) Right,
0: fantastic. Thank you, thank you so much for that. Yep, tweeting will not cut it, will it? Okay, Uh, all right. Uh, So that's a great place for us to end, I think. It's been wonderful talking with you both today. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you everyone else for tuning in. And once again, My name is Catriona Gold, and I've been speaking with Dr. Sharice Burden-Stelly and Professor Jodie Dean about their new edited collection, Organize, Fight, Win, Black Communist Women's Political Writing, which will be published by Verso in October 2022. So this is a sneak preview. I highly recommend picking up a copy from your local bookstore, direct from Verso, or from any other ethical retailer. Thanks for listening. And thanks again for joining me today, Jodie and Sharice. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks so much.